podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm here as ever with Martin Gritton and Gareth Dobson, the boys... How are Hi. you? Thanks, Thanks Roger. Good to, good to be back. Feels like we're never away. That's my question. How are you, Martin? I am. I'm okay. I'm all right. I've got a bit of a January malaise, third week of Jan, just crawling to the end of it and with the imminent news of more depressing lockdown stuff. But apart from that, you know. Not all good. Um, Gareth, oh, similar, is good. similar vibe? Yeah, I was actually okay until I found out just now that we're still in January. <laughs> yeah very much smudger how are you real killer, isn't it? i'm absolutely fine yeah fine can't complain had a snow day um oh. and stuff's happened it's, it's monday as we're recording and stuff has happened today like actual stuff real stuff not even on the pitch stuff fun off-field stuff frank lampard is gone he's left yeah he's been fired from chelsea Big, huge. Um, are you shocked martin are you shocked gareth Martin, start with I, you. Yeah. Give, me, give me your initial reaction yeah, to this. Yeah, sorry, I was, I was shocked because I thought they'd, they'd give him to the end of the season just with a little bit of uh, the Frank effect. I think definitely with, you know, if the fans were still in, I think that would have played a bigger part. But Frank's been kind of hung out to dry a little bit here. Gareth, how do you feel? Um, in the context of the last two weeks, it, it, it hasn't. it's not shocking because it's been telegraphed so, so clearly along the way. I think um, there was a story in The Athletic that got posted up uh, immediately on the whistle after the Man City Chelsea game, essentially saying that um, Lampard, you know, they were looking for alternatives. So it's definitely been coming. A little surprising that it's come after a win in the FA Cup. But I think if you, I guess the main thing is he's been treated as equally fairly or unfairly as you want to view it as all the other Chelsea managers. This is pretty much. Um, the time frame where you're either flying and you're good for another year, or if you know if it's not going too well, then you start looking over your shoulder. Definitely, Mark. What's yeah. your your take? Well, I, I'm I'm not surprised at all, really. Um, which is in itself is probably an indictment of of the way that club is run. Um, but you know, Lampard is Mr. Chelsea. He he loves that club. They love him. He knows better than anyone else the way that the club operates. And he understands that if you if you go there as manager, if you do anything less than win and win trophies quickly, you, you get sacked. And so he knew what he was signing up for. Um, the other thing is, of course, that, that we can all hammer Chelsea and Chelsea's upper management and say they're being brutal or say they're being unkind or whatever. But it gets results. It, it does work. And you just look at their trophy hall over the years when they had been chopping and changing so frequently. I mean, it's it's really it's a really successful club, and part of that is because of this. It's much more of a sort of Barcelona or Real Madrid sort of way of doing things. You come in, you've got six months to stamp your mark on it and start winning stuff. And if you don't do it, you're gone. 
and that's that's basically what what seems to have happened here. And um, Gareth made a point a second ago. Lampard hasn't been afforded any extra, um, you know, mates rates, or he's not been afforded any any more leeway because he's Frank Lampard. They've treated him the same as everyone else, and I think that's actually probably quite quite a good thing. Um, one thing I do think about this is, and I said this at the time, I, I'm surprised when he left Derby. I'm surprised that he went to Chelsea so early on in his career. Um, and I'm also surprised that Chelsea took a punt on him. Mm. But it just felt to me like at the time, he, obviously he wants to manage Chelsea. I completely understand that. But it's not like if he didn't go there then, then whoever goes into Chelsea would be there for 10 years and Lampard misses the boat. No, they, they change my every 18 months so you're going to get another shot as long as he didn't shit the bed at Derby over the next couple of seasons he'd still have got another shot and I just think maybe a couple more years of experience it would have been would have been better but that's a long way round of saying no I'm not surprised I think also um, when he came into the Chelsea job it was viewed as a fixer-upper it was a young squad uh, that he could take and there was going to be a little bit of time and then you know suddenly they accelerated that programme uh, the amount of players that they brought in in the uh, you know in the off season was it was huge. It was a vast number of players, a lot of money, and you know players with big expectations on them. And that's obviously probably ultimately not not helped them. But you know it's also been I think the mark that you know I I think the, the idea that Chelsea were going to settle to be a sort of building team was always a bit of a fallacy because it was essentially brought on by the transfer yes. ban. Um, yeah, so selling they've never home. been a building team. They've never been a team that's happy no. to say, right, this is transitional for two seasons, ever. And why should they? It it, it makes no sense, and it, it doesn't work with, like you said, historically, that there was no indicator of that. So I think it was, if Lampard was sold the job on that basis, then I think he's a little naive. Um, but like you said, you know, it's, it's that punishing self-belief of any kind of top superstar footballer who's like, well, of course I'll be a great manager. Yes. You know, you have to have it, right? You have to have that. You do, but there's ways of, there's ways that some prepare, like you can't be, you can't be everything at, at Frank Lampard's age. You can either be what I think he was trying to be is like bringing through the young players and getting the most out of them and empowering them and putting responsibility on players that were perhaps saying, Go on, this no one's expecting you to make yourself a established striker. You know, like putting um, Tammy Abrahams ahead of Giroud or, or, yeah. or, or you know, or Mason Mount, you know, giving him the armband and and you know, seeing how some players responded. I don't know. Did have either of you seen uh, Roy Hodgson's response that he did in his presser? It's been it's been on rotation on no, Sky Sports today. Have you? Did you see it, Gareth? I did, uh, I did not know. Uh, so if you see, if check out Sky Sports News at any point today, hopefully it will still be on. It's a b- brilliantly put uh, response to the sacking and just in the context of saying, well, he's a young manager. And basically just coming down on Lampard's side, I totally understand where you two are coming from because you're absolutely right. Let's judge it on the merits of other the way other Chelsea managers have been treated. But Roy Hodgson was like, he came in during a transfer ban. He was, you know, he was given the given the squad and said, "What are you going to do with it?" And he goes, "I'm going to work with it, and I'm going to try and get the best out of these players." And his standing to the club and all of those other pressures that are on him. I mean, it's an incredible amount of pressure, and he doesn't help yeah. himself with a couple of responses recently. But that, if anything, just shows the the fact that he was under incredible pressure, and you know, he, oh yeah, he, he cracked and, and nothing... in a way that you wouldn't expect an older manager to. But yeah, Roy Hodgson's response was just like beautiful for from another manager to stick up from like that. 
Yeah, that's really good. And nothing I've said is anti-Lampard at all. I mean, I'm, of I'm a fan of Lampard. Yeah. As, as a Derby supporter, I, I wanted him to stay because I think we were going in the right direction with him. Um, but, you know, he, he, I just think he knew what he was getting into of all the people. But we touched upon it a second ago. You need to have that belief, like Gareth said, to get to the top of your game. You need to have that belief. It's the same in my background. So my background is comedy. The people yeah. that do really well are the ones that have a psychopathic uh, view of what they're doing. They, they, they think they're smashing every single gig. And it, even when they're not, and it looks it looks yes. mental, yeah. but even when they're not, make it look like you are. Make yourself believe that you are. And that or gives you license to do fault. more more yeah. important stuff. Yeah, but it, it gives you license to get better and be better and be protected by that that streak that you've got in your mind. And you know, that's what he needed to be a footballer, top footballer. And that's what he'll still need to continue having, even though he's been sat from this job. Gareth? Can I ask your opinion on that, Gareth? Because well? that's a really that's a really interesting observation. We've not really spoken about that before, but the mentality, the psychology of uh, you know comedians or but anyone, performers, entertainers, musicians, Gareth. Is that I mean, how in your experience is uh, just equating what Mark said? Uh, it, it, I'd say it's a, a fine balance between you know, utter self belief and sort of crushing doubt, um, and the, <laughs> the, the crushing self doubt is what propels you to be better each time and then you know i think uh the, the moments that the, you know the self-belief is merited when you're like this this album i'm making is brilliant you know this song i'm writing is is incredible it is the one that makes you go out there and want to want to perform it and so forth and you know the, the doubt is also probably the thing that makes you want to keep going and the, the belief that you can do better and you haven't you haven't yet achieved everything that you, know, you should be achieving or you're underachieving or whatever. So it's it's neuroses, I guess, is is, is the ultimate uh, catch-all phrase. That all musicians are just bundles of them. And I assume that you know, footballers yeah. are a pretty fragile entity as well. And I know comedians, certainly. I, I've read enough biographies and, <laughs> and, and so forth. Of, they're all, they're all oh absolutely cases. But yeah, uh, the, yeah. one other thing on that, though, that's, that I think football... Well, football always felt to me much more quantitative, you know, in terms of I knew how good I was doing based on how many goals I scored, if the team was winning, and my success or failure would be based on that. Even though sometimes inside, I know when we were getting beat, I was like, I'm playing all right today. And the same when I knew that I'd robbed a living by going, well, I scored a couple of tackles yeah, there, but I've been yeah. crap. That, I think that's something that's more abstract in our subjective, yeah, certainly. Well, in definitely comedy. sport is more objective, yeah, yeah. So, like, what you're saying, I suppose, is the best comedians or musicians in the world aren't necessarily number one of the charts or doing Wembley stadium. Yes. But the best footballer isn't hidden away somewhere in league two. That person is at the top of the game. Yeah. There's something like that. And also the fact that, you know, if how crass it would be to boil down a comedian going, well, I sold this many tickets, so that's why I'm the best. It's like, no, you're not. That's not well, they exist. Works. Those people exist. No, no, no. And, um, and perhaps that equates to what we're talking about. No, I, I find that really I interesting. I do have Gareth. a question yeah. for, for, for you, Mike, in terms of, you know, like I said, uh, quantitative uh, work. Were you ever in a situation where you were regularly rated out of 10 by, uh, uh, you know, Either local papers or one of the nationals. Oh, Did yeah. you ever pay huge attention to those numbers? So this is this is a really good question. Uh, always, you always get the ratings, and the frag fragility of your teammates was the only int- that was all I was interested in in those tens. So if there was a player that you could get in their head, 
and you come in on Monday and go, oh my God, you got a four. This is the most, this is embarrassing. And if you knew they'd react, because a lot, the best players never react. The best ones just kind of take it in their stride. Play for Grimsby and Dave Pies, um, who was a local reporter, um, who was brilliant. Uh, and he would come out, out for a beer with us sometimes after, win, lose, or draw. And he'd be honest. And, and like me and Dave were close. But if he gave me a four or five, great. I knew that I'd earned a four or five. If he gave me an eight or a nine, it wasn't because we were mates. And then that way I knew that that I was playing it straight. But other players, you can get in people's heads so easily. There was like news of the world randomly was like, if you get sent off in the news of the world, sometimes they just give you a two. And one of our players got a two and we just attack on his back. Crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't even know you could get a two. How's that going to affect your season stats, man? That's going to be, I mean, that's going to skew them massively. I mean, how are you going to get teamwork. over this? Listen to this you teamwork. Just, yeah, but there's sometimes players just need to take them down a peg or two. Same as yeah, what we've just been saying. But, it, but interestingly, Gareth had another one, which is probably a real a good topic to talk about. The, the football manager stats. There's a guy that sends it in, usually at the lower level. The guy who did it at Torquay, I found out who he was, and he was like a fan that wrote some sort of match report blogs. And I was like, any chance you make me a bit better? And he was like going, they won't believe it. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, genuinely, I'm prepared to give him a wee backhand. And he's like, that's, he goes, they literally have a chat to you on that. And they're like, don't let players get into it or give you false things. That, oh, wow. that, and that's why this football manager is so accurate. It's because they're like kind of, it's a really privileged position to be the guy that gives those stats to be fair there was a couple of years i was all right on it but mostly it was pretty depressing but um you always sign yourself agility three and stuff like that you know you're like come on um but you always sign yourself grits i would absolutely bring yourself one last 10 carton's armband on pens just you know see how you can get sorry so you're you're sub you you're you're starting yourself on the bench i was was at man united (laughs) i was at man united mate i mean Uh, you know even even i can kind of pull the wool over on that one um but no that, that that's the fun side of it but i know we're, we're digressing a bit but this is it all plays to the to the lampard thing because you you know how Absolutely. close how good would he have been if if it just clicked i bet he would become intolerable very quickly it, and <laughs> uh, in terms yeah, of yeah. one thing i've been sort of thinking about with him is the legacy he will have with chelsea and to be honest going early rather than later may end up happening it reminds me of when so when glenn hosel was appointed manager at spurs in 2001 he was you know greeted as a messiah you know obviously a beloved player who had had a good manager record he you know rebuilt his career uh with southampton going into it and he only lasted two and a half years and by the end you know the fans were you know a essentially paying for paying paying for his dismissal but almost the moment that he left he became beloved glenn hoddle again it, it's not yeah, going to affect yeah. his standing amongst chelsea fans they're just going to say well that didn't work out but he brought us so much we love him so yeah as a player i mean and they, and i think they get it they get the game yeah and most clubs most fans i think you know the players are more beloved than the managers. You know, unless you have an Alex Ferguson or, or I was going to say Arsene Wenger, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. But people will always remember <laughs> the players more than more than the managers. Yes, agreed. Uh, well, let's move yeah. on to a, a current Chelsea player who, f- from reading some of the reactions to, to Lampard sacking, it sounds like he might be affected by this. Uh, so Mason Mount, um, at the weekend in the cup game against Luton, he was given a captain's, a captain's armband for the first time. He's been at the club since he was six. 
Um, I think he's a wonderful footballer. And I think whoever comes in as manager, it sounds like it's going to be Thomas Tuchel, but whoever comes in, I think we'll have him as a, a starter pretty quickly. Um, but it seems to me that he's being used a bit, a bit like a proxy for anti-Lampard sentiment. I feel like a lot of people go after Mason Mount because he's a similar player to Lampard, because he's a favourite of Lampard, because he has the same sort of uh, uh, the same sort of style on the pitch, and he seems like a pretty decent guy away from it. And I do feel like people target him as a way of getting to Lampard directly. Oh, sorry, indirectly. Perhaps, but I mean, I'll counter it saying that because he's a, a young homegrown player who's come through the ranks, he's probably also got some very favorable looks. You know, it's yep. whenever a reporter writes a story, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll do the, you know, the, the, the young player come good. So I think if he's, he sounds, he sounds very, he comes across very well in his media interviews. He seems very grounded. I'm sure that he's been told to take, you know, uh, both sides of it with, with a pinch of salt, but it would be a shame if, he falls back into the rank ranks of file of the young players. My my big worry is, you know, Tuchel's been brought in and been told, you know, the priority is to make players like Havertz and Timo Werner work together. These are our big investments. You know, Mason Mount, yes. well, it's fine. If he works, he works. But ultimately, we need to essentially save face for our transfer policy. So hopefully that's not the case. And also, Tuchel will be a really interesting choice because he hasn't always got on very well with the best players. You know, part of the reason why He's, he's left roles is because he, he's clashing. He's also clashed with senior management. So um, it's it's a very strange choice for me. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think that's probably put, Gareth, the fact that he hasn't always... He'll, he'll want to do it his way. And the most interesting thing for someone like mine, um, just, just to support what you're saying, Mark, he's got the right attitude. I'd be terrified if I was some of those players that have come in over this summer and not performed because two kills could come in. The first, first week of training is always bizarre when a new manager comes in you just have these like uh, frenetic almost like trial matches where people are trying to impress it doesn't matter what your value has been before and some players will have that and some players will be able to settle more but I'd be really intrigued to see who comes out on top and I'm sure he won't make any uh, drastic changes that quickly because managers rarely do but at the same time you know especially since we're still in I suppose we're still in this phase where you don't know what the starting eleven is going to be. Um, we'll know pretty well, pretty quickly, who he doesn't fancy. Well, there'd be there'd be no quicker way for Tuchel to announce that it's it's now his team and no longer Lampard's than to drop Mason Mount. That'd be the quickest way to show this is a hard reset. That can doing be. what I want to do, but that can be. I mean, whose benefit would that that would be making it about him rather than making it about the team? And I think that would be too drastic. But let's see. Uh, it's certainly it's, it's going to be interesting yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it is um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Havertz and Werner because I think they're two really good players it's just it's the first season they moved in a pandemic what do you want from them uh, right let's have a let's have a break when we come back let's talk about uh, what was probably the biggest game of the last two weekends United Liverpool If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. 
cooler kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag coolerkingbike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hope your break was nice. Um, Grits, Dobbs, I want to talk about United-Liverpool. Now, it was the biggest game of last weekend. Uh, and, it, you know, I enjoyed it. Nerds like me enjoyed it. And then this weekend, they played in the FA Cup. And it was genuinely a really good barnstorming throwback of an FA Cup game. Gareth, did you see it? Gareth, did you like it? Um, I did see it. And, yeah, I loved it. It was it was probably aided by the fact that it was, it was a pretty sloppy game. It was a lot less cautious. Uh, there were, you know, a good number of defensive mistakes, which... You know, uh, both teams did really well to capitalise on it. It would be really unfair to be like, well, it it was fun because both teams are terrible. That's not true. You know, I think you know Salah. Um, I mean, he's been in pretty good form, but he he looked fantastic. Mason Greenwood's uh, finish was was brilliant, and obviously he he set up the other goal for Rashford. So I think both teams will take something away from the tie. I think they'll both be pleased to. You know, Solskjaer would obviously be pleased that he's won another game against another big manager. And, you know, I'm sure he, he wants to win the FA Cup as, you know, uh, a priority, I'd say, probably along with the league, obviously. And then I think for Klopp to finally just score score some goals is going to be a big deal. And, you yeah, know, yeah. May, maybe the other, the other thing is that maybe their defensive luck has run out a little bit. They've done so well pairing these, you know, misfit pairings of very good players who were playing out position. But I think, you know, perhaps this might be a good time for Klopp to turn to the board and suggest that bringing someone in would be really useful. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, Martin, for about 20, 25 minutes of that game, Liverpool looked like something had switched. It looked like they were scary Liverpool again. And I'm talking Liverpool pre-lockdowns. I'm talking about Liverpool in front of crowds. They looked really good for 20, 25 minutes there. Um, that will surely be enough to keep the team and, more importantly, keep Klopp feeling positive about this group of players going forward, won't it? Yeah, I think the the problems that they had in this match were, as, as Gareth says, it was at the back. Uh, both teams looked so susceptible just to the ball of the top. It was unbelievable that both, like, to win this game, to shut it down, I get it that it was one of those kind of just... Queensbury rule, stick your foot in the line and just slug it out and just see who comes out on top. That's what it almost felt like. That beautiful, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Rashford's ball to um, uh, Greenwood. But th- for me, I'm like, who's who isn't expecting just a ball, a, like for Robertson not to be able to get back in. I know Greenwood's quick, but for him not to be anywhere near him and he's shouting at him in his ears, he's, he's going to finish. And I just thought, it was like, oh my God, it's like Sunday League defender from Robertson. Yeah, yeah. It, just so, it happened so, a lot, didn't it, though? It did. So there were lots of times, not even the ball over the top, but I think there were times when the the, the, the back fours of both teams were so flat yes. that you could just see, you could just see every time. There was a time when Firmino got the ball second half <clears throat> and put it through to Salah and he uh, had a chance for his hat-trick. And that happened three or four times in the yeah. game between both sides. And it was just like... I don't understand what's happened. What am I looking at here? Why, why is it so flat? Why is everyone so square? This just seems, it seems bizarre, but it led to a really, really entertaining game. Uh, now, Gareth, I want to talk about uh, Donny van der Beek. We've talked about him before, weeks and weeks ago. He's a good player, isn't he? Yes or no? He's a good player. Yeah, I think he, he's a very good player and a very promising player as well. Is he... What? Where should he be playing? What's he his position... 
He should be. I don't understand what's going on with him. I mean, Bruno I understand Fernandes that there's not a set. <laughs> That's the issue. Yeah. The, so the issue for me is the reason I'm asking you this. The issue for me is Van der Beek is a very tidy footballer, and a club of United's size should be going for players like that when they become available because it makes your squad better. Fine. He is a player who's been at Ajax where they value keeping hold of the ball above everything else, and that is a good thing to value. But when you're up against Bruno Fernandes, whose game is the opposite of that, who's all about percentage balls, I don't know how he fits into that side when Fernandes is not there. I don't know where he fits into the side when Fernandes is there. He just seems so passive to me, and it's so frustrating to watch because he's obviously a good footballer. So, Gareth, you're United manager. You're playing against Sheffield United on Wednesday. Where do you play him, and, and how does it work? I think he, he's he's been unfortunate to have been left out for so long. So I think he's now lost form and possibly confidence. But in a you know in a perfect world where he's you know playing at the level he was at Ajax, he's probably mainly competing with Pogba for one of those two midfield slots behind Bruno Fernandez. Um, I think you want a sitting player, and that can be McTominay or, or to an extent Fred, and then he can take up the other role. And obviously. While he's been, um, you know, sort of out of the first team, Pogba has has come good finally. Um, so that that's the other obstacle. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I don't think I think the one role he can't play is the you know the sort of the deep lying defensive player. So essentially, the two players ahead of him are Bruno Fernandes and, and Pogba, two players who have now bigger reputations. And I think yeah, the manager much prefers them. It's quite clear, I think, that. Uh, uh, Van der Beek was signed by the club rather than the behest of the manager, and it's going to be interesting to see how long how long he lasts. I can see a situation where you know Solskjaer we now assume is going to be there next season. It would be kind of impossible for him not to be. He, he, he's done yeah. very well in terms of results and so forth. So you know Van der Beek might end up you know wonder if he wanders off for a season on loan, um, but I do think he's going to probably disappear again for a few weeks at least this was an opportunity he was yeah. given and he he looked pretty woeful it's very unfortunate Listen, he, didn't, he didn't look good did he Grits? I was going to say the best thing if the best thing that he's done at the club is get the best out of Paul Pogba then I think that's great I think Paul I think in training and these sort of players are the players that come in and they actually might be unfortunately for them in their first season or two it's like well you, you didn't adapt but with Fernandez and Pogba playing the way that they are in front of them, it's like saying this is the this is what we expect of you, or this is this is how good you have to be. Remember how difficult it is for him to move to his first his first country. What his first foreign move is is to come here uh, during a lockdown. Um, as you said, you give him good grace to the Chelsea lads. We should I don't think we should be absolutely. too hard on him. Yeah, I I also no, think, absolutely right. I think some of the Ajax players, I um. Gareth, I, I, what's his name? A midfielder, Tottenham. Frank uh, Ericsson. Oh, Ericsson. Yeah. So Ericsson's a perfect example. Uh, I saw Ericsson maybe in, the, in his, the, the season before he moved to England. He was un, unplayable at Ajax. He destroyed like a city team. Knocked, did he knock that city team out of Europe? Or, or certainly they topped the group ahead of them because they were just un, unbelievable. He moves He moves to England he, and it took him a little bit of time to settle. Everyone knew he'd be good. But it was it took him time to settle. Oh, um, absolutely, absolutely. Luke Modric, exactly the same with Modric and players of that caliber that we know. David Silva, happened with David Silva. There you go. There the you best, go. one of the best ever players in the Premier League. I am not going to be dumping on on Van der Beek for his first season. I'm not going to do that. I'm simply saying that I don't know. It's not a, it's not a question of him and his ability. It's a question of I don't know where he fits into this side. And when he yeah, first yeah, yeah. signed, and everyone was asking this question, I was saying, no, 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 no. 
you bring him in because he is capable of filling in for X, Y, and Z, fine. But the more I watch him, the more I think, I don't think he can play in that double pivot. I think he's got Fred, McTominay, and Matic ahead of him, and Pogba ahead of him, and Bruno ahead of him. I just don't, I don't know, I don't know what to think of it. He's, he's, he's so, it's so ingrained in him that he would rather just keep hold of the ball, recycle it, play a five-yarder, than he would lose a 30-yard ball that might score a goal from. Yeah. And that that's the issue of replacing him for with Bruno Fernandes in the game. And you saw it when Bruno came on. The first thing he did was lose the ball. The third thing he did was score. Yes. And you go, yeah. oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not dumping on Van der Beek at all. No, right? I know you're it's, not. It's just... Because I do think he could be a really good player. And he could be the sort of player that Ferguson used to sign who, you know, may not play every game, may play, start 15 games a season, but just add so much value. But it's just about finding out where he can play. Well, interestingly, with Pep, uh, look at the way Pep shuffle, hit, shuffles his pack or has done this season. I like De Bruyne yeah. popping up up front or um, Gundogan being more um, reliant or being the, the fulcrum that every that everything goes through. You know, and the way that things change, it's not so bad having a player like Donny just have a season like this where he's finding his own feet. And then, I mean, even look at Luke, Luke Shaw, players that have finally settled into some sort of form. It could take him a couple of seasons, but you're right. If, yeah. if the position, because some people might get cute to the front three and then if you if Man United's front three becomes nullified it's like well just play one up top and then have Fernandez and Van der Beek shooting off him you know it's like you, you know injuries or various other things could come into factor here which which maybe maybe better suited for him getting back in the side I noticed then Grits that you called him Donny not Van der Beek um, <laughs> I've got no issue with that uh, but I have got an issue with commentators constantly over and over again calling Trent Alexander-Arnold Trent it winds me up. Gareth, <laughs> back me up on this. Stop. Jermaine Janus has got to stop using his first name. Why do you, he don't do it to everyone else? What's going on here? Uh, sorry, it's Jermaine Genus. <laughs> I'd call him Good. JJ. It's fine. It, it, we, we definitely live in the age of the, the shortened uh, name or, 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 or the first name. It, it's, it implies a certain level of superstardom you know the madonnas of this world the stings the bonnet <laughs> and a, 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 as good a player as trent alexander arnold is i'm not i'm not sure whether he's uh he's madonna of, of liverpool yet <laughs> maybe he was last year but it he, he you know he he's we talked about this last week i think he's had a really really tough year and i think a lot of that is probably just down to the lack of defensive solidity around him. i mean luke shaw had had him on toast um yesterday Although a lot of the time, it, it, I, I went back and looked at uh, Luke Shaw's highlights and was like, let's see what he does to train Alexander Arnold. And he wasn't there for half the time. He, he was being caught out of position, um, which, is, which is equally worrying. So, you know, yeah, I think definitely. he's going he's gonna to be looking forward to the return of, of Gomez and so forth. And Liverpool have got a huge game on Thursday against Spurs. Yes. Well, let's talk about that now, Gareth. Um, it's a bit. I mean, every every few game, every few days, there there's massive massive fixtures. The biggest one this week, yeah, I think you're right. It's got to be uh, Spurs. Is that Spurs? Spurs Liverpool, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's at it Spurs. is. Uh, yes, it's Spurs. That, that that could that really could. I don't know what the next part of my sentence is going to be. That could be something. I don't know what, but something <laughs> monstrous could be happening in that game. I suppose what it could be is it could probably be the end of Liverpool's title defence. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, it could be the start of uh, Spurs rekindling theirs. What do you think, Gareth? As a Spurs fan, is this something you're looking forward to? Are you quite scared of what you saw for those 20 minutes against United? 
I'm I, I'm always a little pessimistic in terms of how Spurs will approach this game. I think they would probably see a draw as as, as a reasonable result, which you know, I, I think fans will look at me like, well, if you're ever going to beat them, you know, Spurs have had a very rough time against Liverpool in the last few years. And if they're ever going to get a result, you would assume it's going to be now. But like you said, it's, there are always glimpses, you know, against Crystal Palace a few weeks ago, Liverpool were, you know, they were phenomenal. They were absolutely imperious. So they have it in them. Their players are so good that when they, when they click, when they hit their rhythm, then, you know, they're, they're still probably the best team in, in the league. And, you know, Spurs can do that as well. You know, usually for short periods of time and usually after they score the first goal they get they get shackled a little bit by by their manager seemingly but yeah i think i wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw and that's probably the least helpful result for both teams although i think for spurs who who realistically are looking at the top four i think they would probably take it i think Liverpool will probably go all out for this because like you said if they don't win they're going to be looking quite far into the distance at, at Manchester United and City. Yeah, it, it's a game I'm really looking forward to. Um, I always like Spurs against Liverpool. Um, yeah, but th- this one, I, 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 I cannot even, I can't even picture them on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? I can't, I can't envisage this game happening. I don't know. I, I can't get a handle on what's going to be happening in this game at all. Um, I have a feeling that if Liverpool play the same back forward they did against United, then Kane and Son might have a fair bit of fun Grits what do you reckon yeah do you know what I, I mean I'm it, it, it's going to be a cracking game I just uh, what's going on around them in the league I, I find really interesting Everton two games in hand two points behind them I mean Everton's next two games Leicester at home Newcastle at home two winnable matches I know well, good Leicester are at the minute but you know Everton would consider themselves certainly in terms of recruitment and ambition to be on par with Leicester so uh, and, and the way Newcastle are going Everton you know smell blood there and so it could be six points for them they could go, they could go above Liverpool yeah. Yeah, um, and yeah. I don't I don't think it puts Liverpool out at all I mean there's six points behind at the minute I, you know as we've seen I'm, I, this Man United team I do not know what to expect of them. City are the ones, but City are only four points. Oh, out you them. love City, but City, but you know they won five. <laughs> you know they won the last. I, the, I agree with table. you. I saw, right, and I, I'm very proud to see so this moment much. where finally your your City love has come back in again after 18 months without it. This is, this you is got, great to see. You got West Ham two points behind them as well. So I mean, like it's it's pe- it's so West, nicely West Ham poised. could be ahead of West Ham can be ahead of Liverpool by the time Liverpool play on Thursday. West Ham are away at Palace. I mean, I was, if, if Villa won West their two games, they're ahead of Liverpool. This is crazy. If, if Villa win their two games, and they're ahead. It's like they're yeah. there on 70. So, I mean, I know that the, the congestion, the COVID and various other things has really depleted teams, but it is an absolute lottery at the minute. So I am loving it. And to be honest, the, the FA Cup is, it, the magic of the FA Cup was certainly not there this weekend with all the favourites winning, but at least it's put it to bed for a few teams that can finally just maybe take a sigh or like take a breath and go, right, let's, let's, we've got this many games to go. Yes. Let's just focus. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of cl- countdown clock that we're probably all going to be on because let's, let's face it, March, um, uh, May is probably the best we can hope for anything getting back to normal. Um, but I'll be yeah. more than happy for this to be the drama that gets me there. Touching on what you were just saying there, uh, Grits, I, I think, so this is the point in the season where people's, you know, their season are really coming into view. They're really taking shape. You know, like you said, half the Premier League teams are going to be out of the FA Cup uh, now. And also there are three Premier League full fixtures game weeks in the next 10 days. There, You know, it goes midweek, weekend, midweek. So I think 
essentially by the time we hit kind of early February, going into the next uh, FA Cup fifth round, we're going to have, a, I think, probably a clearer picture of how a lot of these teams are, f- are faring. It's all still quite bunched up, but you, know, you suspect a few teams are going to start separating and also focusing on you know, deciding which competition. I, I think Arsenal going out to Southampton will be seen as, as as quite an exciting development by a lot of teams looking at the FA Cup. I mean, Arsenal have been Goliaths in mm. in the FA Cup for, for for a decade, and you know, obviously they they won it last year. So people like Leicester surely are looking at the cup yes. this year, thinking, well, you know, we can we can do this. Uh, weakened teams are, are being played. Liverpool are out, Arsenal are out. So there's a very good chance of a uh, you know, hopefully someone who isn't Man City or Arsenal lifting the cup. It's going to be Man City. You all know it's going to be Man City winning the domestic oh, yeah. treble. It's it's yeah. it's, it's inevitable. Um, but yes, I agree. I'm looking at those those lists of um, uh, FA Cup fixtures. Lots of lots of sort of classic FA Cup teams in there. I'm looking at Everton. You're looking at Wolves. I think Leicester are a great shout. Obviously United. But Man City, Martin, your team you've always supported since a young boy. <laughs> um, they looked like for a while there. It looked like that was going to be a big shock on uh, Saturday night against Cheltenham. Mm. Uh, and then finally, what happened? Phil Foden happened. Phil Foden, one of my favourite players, lovely player to watch. And also, he can do it on a wet weekend in Cheltenham. Mate, the, it was Linguini legs for Cheltenham last 20 minutes. I felt for them just absolutely <laughs> shot. I mean, my favourite thing about playing at Warden Road, which is now the Johnny Rocks Stadium, which I did it enjoy sure a lot, was um, there, there's a burger van and uh, just by the by the side of the pitch that was like, it's right next to the pitch. You could just smell burgers when you're on the pitch. And I would always be quite, I'd play better hungry because I'd just run around a bit more. And I'd just be starving. And if I ever was over that side, just be like, for fuck's sake, I'm like, you know, just smell the onions burning on. And I was, and I was just hoping that, that just out of some sort of continuity, they had the burger van there, even if but there's no fans, you know, just to kind of have that some sort That's of That's so funny. You're like a cartoon dog in an old uh, <laughs> Exactly. 15, and you Yoink. smell it and you hover into the air and fly off. <laughs> Chasing the string of sausages. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, exactly. don't you go eating this tasty pie that's falling off by the windowsill. Oh dear! Easy so, way yeah. to get grits, <laughs> and that's all I'll say on that game. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that felt like a real FA Cup game, and I think I disagree. I think there were some good uh, FA Cup games this weekend. Oh, they were I good. Just think, yeah, yeah. Just, it just, just, just no shocks. That yeah. was all. Just no real shocks, and that's that's what I sort of think. That's what the FA Cup lives and dies by. Because if it's always yeah. you know Liverpool or United in the final, or yeah, you know, more recently Man City and anyone else, it can get a bit stagnant can't it I mean yes. the League Cup is one that I love but again it's it's just the Man City trophy it's the Man, Man City Invitational now isn't it it really is and also the, uh, this week's games were unfairly put into perspective by how genuinely brilliant the third round was this year it was the best third round I can remember in the longest time in terms of the variety of games and the upsets and, yeah. and so forth and this was a, a lot more sort of run in the mill, run in the mill and you know followed the form book uh, by and large, even you know someone like yeah, Brentford, yeah. Um, who they took an early lead, but pretty much the moment they took that lead, Leicester, you know, were like, right, we're not going to lose this, and they they pretty methodically just took them apart. Um, the, the same with City. They credit them; they never looked panicked or worried. Um, it took them probably a little bit longer to score than they would have liked, but there wasn't any real kind of, oh no, what do we do? Do we throw on Sterling? Do we throw five players up front? They, they just kept going. And like you said, the moment they scored one, it felt 
it felt very uh, Thanos level inevitable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, we should probably look ahead to the weekend games as well, actually, because we don't do another podcast till next Monday. Uh, and again, talk about United a little bit here because they're away at Arsenal. Um, I, I, for some reason, there were a few games in the calendar that I would look at and think, yeah, I, I really like those games. I, w- I really like Spurs against Liverpool, and I really, really like Arsenal versus United at Arsenal because I never know what I'm going to get again. Um, Arsenal are going to treat this like a cup final, I think, and United are away from home, so. This could be a really good game, I think. Arsenal against United. Martin, give me a quick prediction. We never do this. Give me a quick prediction. Oh, uh, uh, I mean, two each. I want to go two each. I reckon both teams have got goals at the minute. I think Arsenal would do probably uh, uh, kind of a little bit of an upswing in fortune against some of the big boys. So, yeah, I'm going to go two each. What do you make, Gareth, of um, incoming player Odegaard? He's a Real Madrid player. Been on loan at Sociedad. Now he's going on loan to Arsenal. Uh, the same week that Ozil leaves the club. Uh, have you seen much of him? Do you, do you know what to expect? I I've seen a reasonable amount of him. He's a you know he's a very much an attacking midfielder. Um, he's a he's a good player. You know he was the you know the real Vanderkind. He was brought in from Norway. Age was yeah. he fifteen? And he was signed for a seven figure fee. And he was brought to train straight in with the Real Madrid first team and you know he he struggled maybe unsurprisingly then he went and played in their um their B team which I think plays in the second division and and he, he he's done he did very well on loan at Sociedad last year. So he is you know clearly an incredibly talented player who does have a bit of experience and some legs and I, I think you know again he brings a sort of freshness and a youthfulness to the team which seems to be working um you know with uh, Smith Rowe and Saka and players like that yeah. seem to be reacting and doing what Arteta wants a lot more so than you know the the the, the veteran players like like uh, Willian who who were struggling. So I can see why bringing him makes a lot of sense. Apparently Arteta was very key in making this move happen, and I okay. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he he comes straight into the team or certainly gets a lot of features very quickly. Mark, what do you reckon the score yeah, Smith Rowe must feel a bit... Oh, sorry. Would you say I'm going to go for you. What's your prediction on that one? Um, I'm going to go for a United win. I just really fancy them away from home at the minute. No matter who yeah. they're playing, I just really fancy them. Um, back to Odegaard, though, quickly. Um, Smith Rowe must feel like he's waited all this time to start playing for Arsenal. He's done brilliantly in all the games he's played in so far. And all of a sudden, they're signing someone to, to give him direct competition. Is this is this the best way to handle Smith Rowe? He's only eighteen. Uh, as as a as an ex pro, as a youngish ex pro, Grits, how would you have felt about that? About what? Sorry, Smith Rowe. Sorry, go on. Uh, about 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 getting your chance in the first team only for the manager to sign someone in direct competition with you. There's always a there's always a moment in this pod when it sounds like I wasn't listening, and that is exactly the point again. Uh, you got to stay on your toes, pal. Pre-season I, training. I really enjoyed his post-match, uh, his post-match chat. We have we done that already. When it was literally just, he was talking like he. Uh, he goes, "What do you think of Fernandez? Always oh, great players. Numbers are great." And I was just thinking of FIFA. He was blatantly just talking about FIFA. And <laughs> yeah. I think Speed, eighty-two. Yeah, no, I think it's a. It's one of those ones when it's inevitable that you know managers aren't going to put all the pressure on you um, to have to lead that line. But uh, unfortunately, it's just that this is the necessary evil being at a club of that size for him to come through. I mean, I. It's always interesting as well. Players, uh, their contracts will still be their one-year pro contract. So 
his match okay. fees are probably he's probably on about a few grand appearance or something. So his his four hundred five hundred quid a, a week wages. Or I'm sure it's more than that, but but you know it's just these kind of um, massive discrepancies when he gets his wage back at the end of the month. He's like, oh, I made one hundred and fifty grand this month, and usually it's about eight. So um, I, I'm sure he'll be happy enough looking at that, and also maybe someone taking the pressure off him because it's not immediate, but it's important that the manager keeps giving him a chance. I think Arteta hopefully has learned that by mixing it up and and not and um, you know not doing what he did at the start of the season with some of his bigger names actually keeping them on their toes is, is what's making them play better yeah elsewhere at the weekend uh we'll quickly gloss over man city chef united i feel like that's the clearest result of the the weekend um Chelsea against Burnley is always tough, and we'll see who's in the dugout for Chelsea if Tuchel's even there at that point. Uh, Liverpool away at West Ham, again a tough one. For me, though, the uh, highlight of the weekend, aside from Arsenal United, is probably Southampton versus Villa. Yes, I talk yes. about Villa every week on this show. I talk about Jack Grealish. I love Jack Grealish. I'm in love with Jack Grealish. But this is perfect. Saturday night, under the floodlights, the Jack Grealish show, another episode. Tune in. 100%. Uh, that's the game. Yeah. Gareth, well, Gareth, I mean, I'd put yeah. Gareth firmly in the Southampton camp, wouldn't you, Gareth? Uh, yeah, I, yes. Speak well, I, you speak glowingly about them. I would say if, if I were to choose between the two teams, I, I would probably watch more Southampton games than Villa. I, I have a little How bit of a blind spot for Aston Villa still. Uh, I'm no. not entirely sure why. I think it's, I'm still quite unfamiliar with a lot of their attacking players. Um yeah. Uh, whereas Southampton, I feel maybe I've just watched them a lot more and they've got had a fairly consistent squad, so I know what they're about. And I'll be honest, the fact that they dumped Arsenal at the FA Cup uh, a couple of days ago is, <laughs> you know, means I like them even more. But Absolutely. I think um, Southampton are probably a slightly more sustained uh, period of success they're in. I, you know, Villa are having a really good season, but I, I, I would argue that Southampton's blueprint is the one I'd rely on more. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I've got a quick analogy to make about Jack Grealish. I talk about him every week, but I've realised what it is about him. So you know when you uh, there's a film that you love, and you've seen it loads of times, and you want to show someone the film. And you sit with them, and you show them the film, but most of the time the film's on, you're looking at your friend or girlfriend, whoever it is, and you just want to make sure they're enjoying it, right? You've always got an eye on that person, haven't you? Just thinking, oh, yeah. I hope they enjoy this. Sure. This is what it's like when I recommend someone sit down and watch Jack Grealish. I always think, right, I want them to enjoy it. But here's the kicker. I know there's no way they could possibly not enjoy it. Whenever it's a game when Jack Grealish is playing, he steps up for me. He never makes me look stupid for recommending him. It's not like me showing my girlfriend Godfather 2 and they're getting all confused and hating it. This is the Jack Grealish show. She's going to love it. And that's what Grealish is so good. And that's why Saturday, prime time, 8 o'clock, be in front of your TV, Dobson, and enjoy the Jack Grealish show. And also, familiarise yourself with the rest of the Villa forwards that you don't know enough about. Okay, that's, that's a deal. And that's why we'll be changing <laughs> our name to the Jack Grealish Show. Oh, we should do. Let's get him on. Uh, right. right, I think that's what we've got time for, isn't it? Um, yeah. Gareth Dobson, thanks for joining me. Martin Gritton, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back same time, same place, I guess, next week, won't we? Is that right? Surely. Let's do it. 100%. Let's do it. Cheers, lads. Yeah. All right, nice one. Cheers. Bye. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.